Hello, welcome back to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast with myself, Jess Percival, and the wonderful Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm happy to be back. It's felt like an eternity and it was only a week that I was away for. But I've I've missed I've missed everyone. Hope everybody's well. Hope you're well, Tim. I am well. We've missed you too, Jess. It just hasn't been the same. It's like when the cloud goes over on the sunny day and you just long for the sun to break through the clouds. Here we are, you're back. All is well. I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry if anybody missed me, but I was at Disneyland and that was, you know, sometimes you gotta you just gotta go to Disney and not do your digital marketing podcast. I could have done it from Disney, but it would have been quite quite the experience. Would have felt like a news report or something. Anyway, today we are talking about how to do B2C marketing that crushes in 2024. So previously we did a podcast about B2B specifically. This is going to be B2C, but there's lessons here for everyone, right? It's not just going to be for B2C businesses. If you're B2B and you heard that and you're like, ah, this isn't for me, please stick around because it's really important for your creativity to hear stuff outside of your niche. I think it makes like a huge, huge difference and can help boost your creativity in like a really really big and important way and the first thing we want to talk about sort of heading into 2024 is big changes coming to search engines tim i know you're very you're very ai forward you're very passionate about all this what do you have to tell us about the changes that are coming to to google search and just i suppose all search engines in general in 2024 well, I feel like this is also it's a period of change in digital marketing that we haven't really seen before. We've got, yes, there's huge changes in search, but there's also massive changes in paid, not least because of AI and most of the paid tools bringing AI in. We've got changes in how marketing assets are created. Thanks to AI, we may have changes in uh, business models of some publishers. If AI continues to, you know, um, go in the direction that's going, we've got changes in tracking with, you know, Google Privacy Sandbox and all of the fighting between Apple and Google about who can appear to be most privacy focused whilst keeping as much customer data for themselves. This is a time when being a digital marketer means that you sort of have to be hooked into what's going on in the world of digital marketing and. You know, for the last 10 years or so, it's been relatively static. Yes, we've seen platforms come and we've seen platforms go, but I don't think that there's been the the level of change that we're expecting to see over the next couple of years. And search is just one aspect of that with Google teasing its SGE, search generative experience, the AI results inside the search, um, inside the search page, which we're expecting to see rolled out depending on where you're based, like late this year or early next year. We don't really know how many people are going to use it. We don't know what final form it's going to take, but we do know that Google is incredibly bullish and believes that this is the future of search. So as marketers, we need to be ready and we need to know how to sort of play this new game once searchers' queries are being answered by generative AI rather than by our website. So I think this is like a category of change that we all have to be prepared and B2C particularly is is going to be um is going to be really impacted here. Absolutely, yeah. And I think if you if this is kind of freaking you out and you're sort of like looking up looking into search generative experience, but which if you haven't learned much about it or it's brand new to you, there's a bunch of videos on our channel about SGE and about these changes coming to search. So you can give those a watch after this podcast though. 
Um, and if you're listening, you can also find some podcasts about that um, on whichever platform you are, you're listening on. Um, I think one of the biggest changes is going to be the way the customer journey goes. You might find, well, you it's really likely you're going to see a drop in traffic, but you might start to see more qualified traffic visiting your website because people might be getting the answers that they need in those initial early stages from Google, um, from the SGE, but then ending up on your website to convert if you've appeared as one of the like results that kind of backs up or Google says one of their three results, or if they even mentioned you in the search generative result, like if you have a proprietary software or something, or like for us, you know, with our um, free website marketing review, which you can get at ExposureNinja.com forward slash review up there. Um, if somebody asks, you know, who's the best for marketing reviews, there's a huge chance that we might appear in that SG to say Exposure Ninja offer one this business offers one, et cetera, et cetera. And then they'll kind of visit our website of their own accord rather than clicking straight through. So it's kind of going to help with that research phase. And yeah, things. That I think people are just going to travel to you in a really different way. And we just need to be prepared for that and understand the answers that the AI is giving to kind of understand where people are at by the time they land on your website. But at the moment, it's really difficult to know how that's going to look because such a small percentage of the population is actually testing this out. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Tim. Yeah, I completely agree, though. This is it's really difficult to say here's our sort of our AI search strategy or here is our strategy in general to make sure that whether people are searching with ChatGPT or Bing Chat or Google Bard or Google we are going to make sure that we're featured. It's really difficult to do that because we don't even know what the final functionality of these things is going to be. I've been playing a lot with SGE, trying to reverse engineer ranking factors and figure out why is this site ranking, but it's not showing an SGE feature carousel. Why is this site being shown in feature carousel, but it's not ranking in organic results and trying to sort of understand what Google's criteria is for showing those websites because you know this is going to be the battleground of the next whatever 5, 10, 15, 20 years if things continue in this direction. Um, and there's a lot of talk in the SEO world about Google moving, you know, just this last week we saw Google adding um, like drafting so you can text draft inside SGE, you can use it to generate images. And it's almost like they're taking some of the chat GPT or Google Bard functionality and putting it in search as a way of rolling out a new type of assistant that people can work with inside the search engine. And website search will then only be one of the things that Google does on google.com. This is a completely new era um, that we marketers are, are potentially entering. It's but But it's so difficult to know exactly, you know, what that's going to look like or how what we need to do to manipulate that in our favor so i think the big like how to win in 2024 as a b2c marketer is you're gonna to have to commit significantly more of your time than you may have been used to to keeping up to date and figuring out testing and playing for yourself because nobody knows where this technology is going but everyone seems to be fairly bullish on it being the future yeah absolutely and if you don't want to do that we're doing at Exposure Ninja. We're putting in the work and the research now so that we're ready for when all these changes come. So if you get to that time and you're like, I don't know what to do, we will be here. So yes. do not panic. 
whether we you will. wanna yeah whether we, you want to work with us or if you want to see all the content i expect we'll be putting out too yes absolutely we've got an sge webinar which we're running um going to be running in a couple of weeks uh, which will share our sort of our most up-to-date observations about how this is working we've also got a a, a modeling tool that we've um, put together which will seek to estimate the potential impact of traffic once sg rolls out by looking at where you're ranking um if you're showing up in sg results how many of the searches that you're ranking for have sg results so more details coming on that if you're not an email subscriber then make sure that you're subscribed uh subscribe on youtube just we will do everything that we can to make sure that you're prepared for this next era because we are completely obsessed with it all um getting to grips with it and figuring out the implications yeah and we have been from the start so yeah more information will be coming about that webinar soon but if you want to head to our website and sign up to our mailing list um then you'll get that information straight to your inbox and you'll be able to sign up right away spaces are limited so um yeah you'll want to make sure that you get signed up quick and i'm not just saying that i promise I'm not no, just saying it feels scarcity 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 they are actually limited um so we've kind of talked about the changes that are coming to search but i feel like there will be some changes coming to kind of customer behavior the way they're acting in 2024 based on economic climate stuff like that tim i know you have quite a lot of thoughts on this i know you read the financial times you're very connected to all of this what do you think is going to be like a huge pain point for customers in the upcoming year i mean it's it's also a really difficult time to be consumer right because we've been sort of talking about recession coming for a couple of years this has got to be one of the most predicted recessions of all time but it's still technically not here yet um there's a lot of geopolitical stuff going on we've got you know china's increasing dominance on a world stage we've got uh everywhere you look there is sort of conflict there is fear and if we're selling to consumers we can't ignore that because even if we've profiled our consumers and we we you know let's say that we last profiled our consumers in 2019 how was the average consumer feeling they're feeling pretty good they could get credit very cheaply um their sort of wealth level had been sort of steadily increasing inflation was fairly low so you know they were feeling well off right let's talk to that consumer in 2020 well they've got a completely different frame of mind they've been locked down they might be increasing their amount of wealth but they're feeling sort of mental health issues and all that type of stuff they may be thinking about moving house all right let's go to 2021 what's happening now well they've may have moved house um they are sort of in a post-lockdown hype, but with a little bit of concern to the future. Inflation starting to improve. 2022, all right, things are starting to get a little bit sticky now. We've got a cost of living. We've got inflation really taking off. 2023, now we've got wars and all this type of stuff. 2024, who knows? The point here is that if you last profiled your customer like four years ago, that customer may be the same person, but what's going on in the conversations they're having in their head are completely different. So if you're still marketing to them in the same way, if you're still presenting your products or services in the same way, there's a chance that that consumer is not there anymore. They're over here. And, you know, we've seen most of the large B2C brands evolve their marketing messages, the things that they're emphasizing, the USPs in a way. We've seen them evolve that over that period of time. But I think for you know for, for listeners who are listening or watching this, 
Have you done that same thing? When's the last time you actually checked in with your customers to see how they're feeling and how you can realign what you're selling to where they're at now? Yeah, it's. I think that's such a fantastic point. The world has changed so much and it's very easy to think, well, we already did that. You know, we already know who our customers are. We already know what they care about. We know about their pain points. But realistically, they're totally different people now. And you really need to tune into that. And I want to add as well, even if there isn't a pandemic and all these other wild things that happened in the past few years, if you're thinking about brand loyalty, like while Tim was talking, I was thinking about, you know, my younger sisters and how much they've changed in the past few years and the kind of things that they're interested in, you know, have a really younger sister, 13, who loves designer clothes, but she doesn't have that designer clothing income. So places she looks to is like vintage and stuff and you know there's all these different things about how these you know people who are younger and have maybe are growing up how you can still keep them connected with your brand or even if you've got you know customers who um have started a family you know things like that you might find that a bunch of your customers kind of go through the same life transition at the same time that doesn't mean that they're not your customers anymore it just might mean that you need to kind of pivot a little bit or maybe you are targeting the wrong people you are still targeting a bunch of families when you should be targeting like young singles and that's just totally the wrong kind of person to be targeting so I think yeah even if there's not basically what I'm trying to say is do this quite often do it every two or three yeah. years just to make sure even if there hasn't been some wild thing happen in the world it's still important to to keep an eye on this what can yeah. people do Tim if they've like once they've done this if they realize that their customers you know want to spend less and are kind of sort of cracking down on their spending what are some ways because not everybody wants to discount their products massively or like make their products cheaper and just totally like destroy their margins like a lot of businesses their costs have gone up too they can't afford to make things cheaper so how can you kind of help your customers still buy from you how can you encourage yeah. them I th it's a really good question blake in the chat has said what are the three top three hard and soft skills that a digital marketer should acquire for 2024 and beyond. And I think this is one of them is that process of, I guess, recalibrating to your audience and viewing your products or services from their perspective. So, I mean, some of the things that we're seeing are, you know, higher ticket consumer things, maybe customers a little bit more hesitant about going straight ahead with them. So if there's any way that you can offer a, you know, an intro offer or like I think of things like portion sizes. So, I mean, literally in the supermarket, you will see portion sizes shrinking in order to keep price points sort of where they were as input costs have gone up. And I think that's a lesson that lots of businesses can take, even if they're not actually selling like literal portion sizes. It's whether, you know, what's the minimum entry point that you're offering your customers and how do you keep that fairly stable if they're feeling financially squeezed? Um, Another way of thinking of this is, you know, payment plans and subscription offers. Subscriptions have been a, a really great learning from what I'd think of as the D2C era that you can actually sell loads of products via subscription that you may not have thought about. Um, and we see this in B2C service as well. So for example, 
near me, there's an aesthetics clinic and they sell their customers on a, a monthly subscription because the one-off cost of, you know, whatever treatment they're offering, some like facial peel or whatever, the one-off cost can feel quite high. But if you get someone a subscription over a year and they get a number of these treatments per year, it's a way for these consumers who might be feeling financially pressed to say, well, I can effectively split these payments. And it's great for the clinic as well, because they get this recurring income. They're not worried about, you know, how much are we going to make this month or whatever, because they've got, right, we know that we've got however many, a thousand of these subscribers paying, you know, what, 70, 75 pounds a month or 100 pounds a month or whatever it might be. That's like starting point fixed income for them or effectively fixed. Um, which can be reassuring and uh, can help them help their business plan and, and help their business plan different costs. So I think, yeah, it's it's about reviewing what your products are and seeing if you've either got a cheaper, lower cost, lower commitment version of it or allowing people to spread payments and, um, you know, split things up into a su- subscription, which actually works for both sides. Yeah. Definitely. By the way, if you're watching this live video and we don't respond to your comment, it's just because we um, are recording like the podcast live, which you can watch over on our YouTube channel. It's normally every Tuesday at 12 p.m. But today is a Wednesday because we just like to mix things up. Um, but yeah, if we respond to your to your comment, it's nothing against you. It's just to keep the flow nice. Um, sort of talking about um, the kind of making sure that you're still getting customers even during this time. So of course I found an excuse to talk about my trip to Disneyland, but I think it's actually a very a hot topic right now. A lot of the kind of Disney influencers and YouTubers are complaining that the prices have been increased at Disney. Now I was there recently, everywhere they've got, they're improving stuff. They've got construction happening. They're doing all this amazing stuff. And I'm like, I understand. I feel like it's very clear to me why they're why they're increasing their prices because i can see that i'm going to be getting a better experience they're very open about this on their social media platforms you know they're building a whole new frozen themed land and even though yes when you're at the park it's kind of hidden from you they're also very open about what they're building so i can kind of look at the price of my trip and think yeah well next time i come this is going to be really exciting and really fun because i'm going to be able to have this and i don't mind paying more because i'm getting more and i think it's really important to stress kind of those sorts of things if you are improving things behind the scenes and you are having to increase prices make it clear why and people especially loyal people are going to be more accepting than you think they will be and I think just just honesty is key like I know other theme parks in the UK they don't really offer anything new and they keep everything hidden they do all their work in the off season whereas Disney it feels like they're very open about all the work they do and so then you feel like okay that's where my money is going um, so yeah, I think there's all sorts of different ways that you can, um, sort of improve this for sure. I don't know if you have any examples, Tim. Um, I'm trying to think of one. Mike has just asked a great question. This is the crux of selling in 2024. How do you compete against a number one rival who is always at the top of the search? Their USP is cheap. Cheap isn't quality, but consumers are price conscious. I think it, it does go back to what you've been talking about there, Jess. The, the other thing I would say, though, is just because people are financially pressured doesn't mean that they want cheap. Like people, people still want value. And I think, you know, you can see with with fast fashion that there is a, a large consumer, I wouldn't say a large, but there is a certain amount of consumer backlash against fast fashion, despite it being the cheaper option. And even amongst price conscious people, 
I think the key is actually to make sure that this is going to sound fluffy, but to make sure that your offering aligns with people's values. We'll talk about this in just a minute, but I think this is another big trend that we're seeing where companies are actually leading with values and not just necessarily, um, you know, this is the value of our products, but this is the value that we have as a company. And they're, they're trying to align with an audience that shares those same values. So I, I think that's a tool that we're going to see used more and more in the coming months as businesses struggle to differentiate. They struggle to become the cheapest. They're actually just saying that this is the type of people that we are. We're looking to sell to this type of people or people like this who have these values come and shop with us. And that's something really interesting. I can't recall seeing it to the extent that I'm seeing it now. So there's a great nationwide TV ad out at the moment. Nationwide is a bank or a building society in the UK. And the ad essentially shows some like totally stereotyped corporate guy walking in, like strutting around saying, I'm going to have this big corner office and we're going to shut that off that uh, bank branch downstairs because we don't need that. That's a waste of space. I want to take the money. And it's a complete caricature. And obviously it's totally inaccurate. But banks are shutting their branches because they're just not financially viable, not because the executive in the corner office wants that money and they're just being selfish and greedy. But they're tapping into that public sort of suspicion and distrust and they're doing a great job of that, right? They're they're tapping into the anger that's sort of just under the surface in our society about rising levels of inequality. And I think we'll see more of that. So that's one way that you can do it. Uh, but the other way is n- not everybody just wants cheap. I think it is about emphasizing value. We see this all the time. For example, in PPC, if you're searching a branded search, you might see people who are, you know, advertising against that branded search saying, I'm cheaper. But you might also say, you know, like this, but without the whatever the frustration is that people have with that original. You know, we see this in CRM, for example, if you search for something like Salesforce, there'll be an ad for Monday.com. Now, Monday.com may be cheaper than Salesforce, but that's not always the thing that they're emphasizing. They're saying, you know, the simple version or the easy to use version or the version that looks nice, that whatever that they're understanding the frustrations that people have with that customer and they're selling against those. It's a bit like what's going on in politics at the moment. Labour Party is essentially saying we're not conservative, right? You don't even have to say we're the cheaper option. They're, you know, if they're going to raise taxes, they may be the more expensive version. They're just selling against what people don't like about that other option. So I think there's plenty of ways to do this that don't involve you having to destroy your margins and become the cheapest. Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, a brand, just because you mentioned fast fashion, I have a really great example. A brand that just advertises to me constantly and has been for the past year is Vinted. And me and my partner always laugh whenever we get an advert for them because we're like, we shop on here like every week. You don't, and we, and we sell, we're both, we're both customers on there, right? We're the sellers and we're the buyers and we don't need those adverts, but they have absolutely dominated the space. Like I would never have known about them. I used to shop, use Depop, had endless problems with Depop. And now I use Vinted and I would say 90% of the clothes I've bought this year have been secondhand because that was like a goal I set myself and I think a lot of people are doing that. And it's that whole thing of like, if you shop on vintage, yes, you're getting secondhand, but often you're getting something better quality for cheaper. And yes, Mike, I know you said, you know, 
you're competing with with cheap but the way that vintage positions themselves like i would say just go and watch a bunch of the adverts even if you're not in that space because the way they position stuff you know one advert they're running at the moment is somebody trying to dye their hair at home then they sell something on vintage then they go and have the luxury experience at the salon you know and sometimes there's another one where it's like oh i just sold my coat here's the person happily wearing the coat in public and getting compliments and that kind of targets both customers so it's like they're just their marketing is phenomenal and I definitely think take a look at them if you're kind of struggling to set yourself apart from the cheap option because vintage isn't necessarily cheaper but it's better for the environment it's better for a bunch of other stuff like essentially it's better for your wallet because you buy something higher quality and last longer but it's finding those types of things right about your own business to help you to help you stand out I think we could talk about this topic all day but we really need to jump onto our next topic, I think, Tim, which is about connecting with niche audiences. And I think this will also help with this last kind of question about competing with somebody who's cheap. And it's about finding these these niche audiences. Now, Tim, you, you've included a great example, which I'd love to hear you talk about because I have a personal story with this brand where I followed them from a lot for a long time and can kind of tell you a bit of the the lore and history about this niche positioning. So I'd love to hear hear you talk about about this brand for sure. Super interesting, Jess. Well, I only came across these because you shared them. You put them in a video um, plan, and I was I looked into it. I thought this is absolutely brilliant. So earplugs is a space that has been. I mean, it's it's totally commoditized right you can go into like a chemist and buy some earplugs for i don't know a dollar that is a solved problem and has been a solved problem for so so long um and then i don't know how recent it's been but you've got loop earplugs that has come out which is essentially selling like 30 dollar 40 dollar 50 dollar um earplugs and how they're doing this is yes they are making them sort of more technically advanced they've got better materials or different materials or whatever but i think the thing that they're doing really cleverly is they're selling they've they've sort of niched their earplugs for different types of audiences so they've got a a set of earplugs for social gatherings parents and noise sensitivity so what we've got there is we've got three target audience like noise sensitivity is something that i think people are becoming more and more aware of we've got people more people being diagnosed with various you know um uh, conditions or uh, uh uh things that they're saying actually do you know what I, I do have a sensitivity to noise or i feel slightly anxious in so social gatherings this may help me um, and then parents you know i don't know any parent that doesn't need earplugs but you know, they've turned what's essentially a commodity product. They've just made it specific to those audiences. I don't think there's even anything massively different. I mean, what's it going to be? It's going to be they, they attenuate different frequencies or something like that. It's effectively generic, but they're sold against the experience earplugs, which are great for music live events. So they've done a really good job of taking a bog standard generic product that works for everyone carving that everyone into tiny little audiences and then selling them specific products and because those products the messaging can be really tailored to that tiny group of people you do a much better job you get much higher conversion rate there and you can sell that product for a much higher price because they feel like this is exactly for me and i just think loop is doing one of the best jobs of this that i've ever seen you've got the people being represented on the site that 
our you know their target audience we've got collaborations with tomorrowland which is a festival they've made some festival ready earplugs like it'd be really easy to be skeptical about this and say look these this is like a little piece of silicon it's a little piece of plastic the thing costs like a couple of cents to make probably but what an incredible business that's been built here and to me this is one of those businesses that is mainly marketing um i'd love to hear yeah. your your sort of story on it or just yeah definitely so i came across them i can't remember when it was it was either during or before the pandemic sorry youtube algorithm you're gonna hate me saying that like four times in this video um <laughs> and in this podcast but um i'd seen them advertise and i kind of followed them for a while because i at that time had noise sensitivity but didn't really know why um and so i was kind of like this could be really useful and what appealed to me about the loop ones is the kind of technological aspect because you can still hear with them in they have basically the reason they're called loops is because they have these loops on them with a tiny hole in which means that you can still hear quite clearly rather than kind of earplugs when i think of earplugs i think they block out all sound which just isn't true um and also they kind of have this fashion aspect to them like i saw people making custom earrings with chains so that you could have your loops with you at all time and they look cool like the ones i have are like gold so you could kind of wear them as like earrings and then just pop them in when needed, um, which would be like super, super helpful um, and just really, really accessible. Um, and I did notice that they kind of, when I came across them, it was just kind of general noise and um, like concerts. And I wonder if that's why I was getting adverts because I used to go to a lot of festivals and stuff. And I wonder if that's kind of why I was getting targeted. Um, and then there was kind of a bit of a discussion about them on TikTok and a lot of like neurodivergent creators were talking about them as like a solution to noise sensitivity and then there was a little bit of discourse because people felt like they were using these people's videos to kind of promote their brand but weren't really including it on their website and they took that feedback on board and it feels like a very inclusive space now which I think is is really really cool and then you know I brought loops kind of mid-pandemic and then got diagnosed with ADHD last year and sort of have used them quite a lot I put them on like my lanyard so that I can use them when I'm out and about like when I was at Disney I used them you know when there was like fireworks and stuff it just takes the edge off and I think it's really interesting to watch the journey of the brand go from a very like concert heavy one to one that's more inclusivity and just every day and they've really made them like a product for everyone like even though they have this even though they have niche down within that brand that's what I think is awesome is that they're a product for everyone but everyone has their own kind of landing page. Everyone yeah, is sort of catered for their specific adverts. Like, I think that is what makes, helps set them apart is that they do, you know, work with neurodivergent creators, but they're also going to work with parents. They're also going to collaborate with Tomorrowland, which is a massive festival, you know. So they've kind of figured out the best places to reach these specific niches. And I just think it's really awesome. Like, definitely rate them as a product except apparently they make me whisper when I have them in which is really funny because I'm a bit coffee <laughs> and a bit loud so um I do think that's quite funny but yeah just really it's really great that they took feedback on board and then implemented that to kind of reconnect with their customers like what we were talking about earlier in this podcast right we we're talking about exactly this is understanding that your personas might have changed or might not be what you expect and as more people are learning that they are neurodivergent and potentially getting diagnosis now that this information is more accessible, they've understood that and they've been able to connect with this audience, which is just awesome. So yeah, that's my that's my story about Loop and how they connect with me as a customer. <laughs> Amazing. And I think that's, uh, this is something that lots of 
lots of companies can can use, lots of marketers can use, even if you're not targeting. Like anyone who's targeting B2C can work out a way to sort of niche your entire audience into small buckets. But even B2Bs can do exactly the same, whether this is targeting people on an industry level or on a job description level or on a geography level. The more you can break your audience into small chunks the more you can refine that message to them that's going to resonate much better you'll get you'll see this everywhere in your in your funnel right you'll see it in higher click-through rates you'll see it on reduced bounce rates you'll see it on increased conversion rates higher average order value i'm wondering if this is one of the things that we're going to see more of in the next year as marketing does become a bit more difficult and we've got to work harder as marketers to in uh, to encourage uh, consumers to spend yeah. And if just to make this like super extra actionable, if you're unsure of to how to niche down, pay attention to how people are like representing your product online. Like I only just found out from Tim that Loop's advertising to parents. That's new to me. Or that they're including parents as one of their, you know, one of their um, niches. And I can imagine that's because somebody who maybe bought Loops for a different reason has now had a kid or is, is working in like, I don't know, one of those wild soft play areas that seems to just be full of shrieking and has left a review or something saying, this is amazing for X. And you might be like, I did not know that my audience was using this. Like, I think Crocs are another great example too. I noticed, especially during the pandemic, they had a massive, massive push for medical workers because they're so easy to clean, so easy to like, you know, keep high levels of hygiene. They're comfy for people who are on their feet all day and they really niche down. I think on their website, they have a page that's specifically dedicated to medical workers. And, you know, they have like Navy, all the products are Navy and black. Like it's just, you know, great. Um, and so I think, yeah, just pay attention to the communities that are shouting about you online and talking about your products. Like maybe they're tagging you on Instagram. Maybe they're leaving reviews. Maybe they're talking about you on places like Twitter. Maybe they're, maybe your name's coming up a load on Reddit. Um, there's all sorts of different things and like little life hacks that people might be using your products for that you just didn't realize. Um, people are creative. They're very, very creative. So um, yeah, definitely, definitely worth thinking about that for sure. Cool. Anything else to add, Tim, before we wrap up for today? No, be bold. Be bold, be interesting, and also keep an eye out for the Search Generative Experience webinar that we've got coming up yes. in a couple of weeks. Sign up to our mailing list if you haven't already to get information about that. And you'll also get information about new podcasts and videos. We will never send you spam. And we put a lot of love into our emails to make them super interesting and super helpful. Um, also, if you haven't already, request a marketing review at explosioninjurt.com slash review. Get a 15-minute review from a person, not a bot, about your website and your marketing and an actionable list of priorities, things that you can improve to get results right away. Perfect. If that's everything we've got today, we shall see you all next week. Have a fantastic week and we will be back on Tuesday, I expect at 12 p.m. If not, just keep an eye on our YouTube, be subscribed and put notifications on so you'll see when our new videos are coming up. See you soon, everyone. See you soon.